Every year in Allen County, people from all walks of life lose their driving privileges. That suspension can come for a variety of reasons, from being convicted of a crime to failing to pay car insurance. But the result is the same. That driver, at least temporarily, cannot legally operate a motor vehicle. In some cases, though, a limited lifeline might be available for suspended drivers who still need to do the essentials of life while those legal problems work their way through the process. I'm John McGauley, and on this episode of In Session, we're talking about specialized driving privileges, who's eligible, how to apply, and what it all means. Our topic on the program today has gone by many names, conditional licenses, hardship licenses, specialized driving privileges, but if you want a clear explanation of what it all means, my two guests are the best in Allen County, Indiana to talk about it. From the Allen Superior Court Civil Division, Judge David Avery and Attorney Jared Howler of Indiana Legal Services, welcome to the program. Thank you, John. Thank Let's you, John. Let's start, as we always do, with a round of introductions. Judge Avery, making your very first appearance on the podcast, we'll start with you. Well, John, I have been a judge in the Allen Superior Court since the year 2000. I'm in the civil division, so I don't deal with family matters and I don't deal with criminal matters. Looking forward to uh, serving yet another couple years. And I think you just started a new term, correct? Correct. Yeah, all right. Jared, uh, welcome back, I should say. You were on our episode a while back about legal aid services in the county, and you're you're back with us today. Just uh, refresh us on who you are. Thanks for uh, having me back. It's always a pleasure. My name is Jared Haller. I'm a staff attorney with Indiana Legal Services. Indiana Legal Services is the state's largest legal aid organization. It's got 200 employees, about half of which are lawyers, and I'm in the Fort Wayne office. All right. Well, welcome back. So the topic today is specialized driving privileges. For Judge Avery, give us the layman's explanation of what it means when somebody hears that term. You know, John, I think perhaps the better term for that is what's called conditional licenses. This is a license where an individual, for whatever reason, has had their license suspended and now is requesting that the court provide them with a license that is subject to conditions uh, depending on what it is that brought about the suspension in the first place. In recent years, there have been between 150 and 350 of these cases filed in your court every year. You hear all of these yourself, don't you? I hear all the ones that are filed as civil matters because there are conditional licenses that are issued in the criminal division. If somebody has a criminal matter that is pending, for instance, operating while intoxicated, until that case goes to sentencing, the conditional license might be handled by the criminal court judge overseeing the criminal case. Once there is a sentencing, or if there is what's called an administrative suspension, then it gets filed in the civil division. And I'd say that the numbers of 350 are probably very conservative. Well. Now, maybe for Jared, I I can't imagine how I'd personally get a whole lot accomplished without being able to drive. Unfortunately, for those folks who experience it, there's a compelling reason why their driving privileges have been suspended. What's the rationale behind granting someone a conditional driver's license? I would pose the question differently. What's the Mm -hmm. rationale behind 
taking away someone's driving privileges. There may be some compelling reasons, you know, the person who has killed someone or who continues to, who has is unfit for some reason to drive. But in a part of the state where there's almost no public transportation, if you, it, it's for the good of society that we let people drive. I mean, you want people to go to work. You want people to pick up their kids, the, like, you know, get to medical appointments, court appointments, that sort of thing. Taking away someone's driving privileges is just not the way to compel them to do what we want them to do. Mm -hmm. Society benefits from having credentialed drivers who are insured. There are a lot of reasons why somebody may get their driving privileges suspended that don't have anything necessarily to do directly with driving. If you failure to show up at an infraction case or misdemeanor case, if you fail to pay your court costs, if you don't pay your child support in a timely fashion, if you have a judgment obtained against you for damage that you've caused where you did not have insurance, failure to file what's called SR-22, which is an insurance form. So there's a lot of reasons that aren't necessarily criminal related that deal with the ability or inability to drive properly. Mm -hmm. It's just that the legislature creates various incentives they, they feel. It's an incentive by taking away somebody's driving privilege. And the numbers are large. Um, I mean, when, when they were studied a couple years ago for House Enrolled Act 1199, I think the prosecutors and the, 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 the statewide prosecutors organization came up with a figure of over 400,000 in Indiana. I mean, it, it's, it's monstrous. Mm -hmm. Is there an issue beyond just a, a tiny number of people who do lose their driving privileges for one reason or another who never try to get them back for some extended period of time? Is that an issue? It is an issue. There, there are people who come into my clinic probably almost <laughs> once a month <laughs> who've never had a license, and, and some of them could be decades <laughs> of driving behind their experience. It's not unusual for someone to get into trouble when they're very young, perhaps when they have a learner's permit or before they even get a learner's permit, and lose the right to get a license. It just spirals out of control, and then at some point they just give up on trying, and then that's, that's a problem for all of us because that person probably isn't yeah. insured, probably is not the safest driver. Uh, what we want are credential drivers that are insured in case there's some, something goes wrong, in case you're in an accident with that person. Well, I think there's a lot of people who don't, when they end up losing their license, they just don't know where to go mm -hmm. to, how, how can I deal with this problem? I think there's a lot of people who just figure, yeah, it is what it is. I'll drive as little as I can, and hopefully I'm not going to get caught. I think the biggest example I ever ran into was this individual in his 60s who had never had a driver's license, oh, well. but had over 75 suspensions on his driving record, most of them for driving while suspended, failure to have insurance, none of them dealing with alcohol or drug-related issues. It just, as Jared said, snowballed. I'll always remember him because when I granted him the license, when he had done what he had done to clean up his record, he came in, I granted it, and he started crying. Oh, wow. And it was just like, this is going to change my life. In 62, 63 years old, now he's going to get his license and, and be able to drive. The, the rules are Byzantine. 
I mean, the, for the average person, they have no idea how they get in this situation. You know, they, they, they're driving, they get just a simple speeding ticket or, you know, or California stop at a stop sign or something like, something like that. The infraction notification is sent to an old address. I mean, you, and this particularly hurts people that are of lower income or poor, moderate income because they're moving around a lot. I mean, for you and I who own houses, it's not a big deal, right? We don't worry about telling the BMV where we're at. We, we've been there for a decade or more. But my average client is renting. You know, they're probably changing apartments at least once a year. They often get evicted or they're staying with some family member, some girlfriend, mother, whatever. And as they move around, th- their priority is not telling the BMV where they live. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, so that the infraction notification gets sent to some old address. That's considered good service under, under the law, even though they, they may not have lived there for years. Then they get pulled over the second time. They didn't even know their license was suspended. That, there, was, uh, there was some hearing they were supposed to go to they didn't know about. They get pulled over the second time, and, that, and they literally didn't even know they were, their license was suspended. Now it's charged as a misdemeanor or another one. or the, There's a reinstatement fee here. It's not unusual for people to, to go very quickly from having like clean records to having multiple things on their records. And, and when you're living check to check, couple hundred bucks for tickets, $250 reinstatement fee, or, or worse after the first one, it's 500 for the second one, 1000 for the third, and, and every subsequent one. I mean, for, for the average person that's living check to check, which is 60% of Americans, that's an impossible, it might as well be a million dollars, right? It's, a, it's, yeah. it's an impossible sum. And then they, they do, they just finally give up, or, or because they'll go and pay a ticket thinking it's going to solve a problem or pay, pay multiple tickets and instead it triggers some new suspension because paying that ticket is an admission or they've paid two or three all at once and now all of a sudden they've got that excessive point violation. When I train attorneys to read driver's records, it can take me an hour. It's hard to imagine what this is like for a lay person to try to understand once they're two or three years into the problems that have spiraled out of control. Now, I, I think it deserves a mention that you know, the two of you obviously speak with some passion about this. It's, it's something that you, you care a lot about. I, I think it's worth mentioning that the two of you have spoken about this to other audiences. I think you mentioned uh, not too long ago that the two of you did a continuing legal education session on this to make sure that attorneys were aware of the, the availability of conditional driver's licenses. Anywhere else you've been to spread the word? Mostly attorney offices or audiences have been the presentation. Although there's been, over the years, some clinics offered to the public to attend, even for an attorney, unless it's just not the type of matter that you're typically going to make a living handling conditional license cases. So most attorneys just don't undertake the effort to understand these Byzantine rules and, and what you have to do to get around it. Now, kind of reaching back to a point Jared made a little while ago about it being in society's interest that people be able to do this, it sounds to me that if someone's eligible for a conditional license, the circumstances are customized to that person's individual essential needs. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. What might be covered uh, under the travel capabilities of somebody with a conditional license, school, work, church, doctor's appointments, things like that? Judge is probably in a better position to, mm-hmm. to talk about what he, what he does here in Allen County. 
the requirements in the statute are very limited. There's only really four things that have to be in a, in a conditional license order. It's got to have something in there about having future financial responsibility, which is this SR22 insurance. It's basically just a promise from the insurance company to notify the BMV prior to canceling your insurance policy. So basically just requirement that you be insured. Mm -hmm. There's a requirement to carry the order. And related to that is one to present it if you're pulled over and the oh. police want to see it, you're required to present it. And you have a state-issued ID or driver's license. That's, those are the four things that are required under the statute. Really, besides carrying the order, it's the same thing we all have to do. We're all required to, <laughs> right. to have a driver's license and carry insurance. What's interesting about the statute is it's got amazing leniency. I mean, it's so broad what, what a judge can order. Short of violating the Constitution, anything a judge thinks it's reasonable is really permitted by that statute. Mm -hmm. And it kind of depends what was the reason for the suspension. I look over an individual's driving record to see, okay, how many suspensions have they had over a period of time. In particular, I look for how many are alcohol-related or drug-related, and then look for things like reckless driving, which probably means it was alcohol-related, but pled down to something different. Property damage, where they ran from the scene causing property damage. That's usually alcohol or drug-related. So it's looking in the back what they have. Some of the restrictions I will put in, I limit them. They cannot drive if their blood alcohol is over 0.02, which is a zero tolerance level. If you have a drink within a couple hours and you get behind the wheel, you're going to test above 0.02. I do not allow them to drive if they're in possession of illegal controlled substances, of which marijuana is one of those. It's not whether you're using it. You just can't have it in your possession when you're driving, and you can't knowingly allow passengers in your vehicle to have it in their possession. I require that if they're asked to give a test to determine their blood alcohol, they must submit to that. So those are some of the more common what I require of anybody who gets a conditional license generally. If there's any kind of alcohol or drug offense, if it's a more recent offense, then I'm going to limit where they can go to work and what they have to carry with them to show the officer their dates and hours of employment, things like that. Now, if somebody under a suspension is listening to this, and we hope they are, they're probably already wondering, does this apply to me? Let's answer that question before we go any farther. Generally speaking, under what circumstances can somebody be considered for conditional driver's license and who can't? For example, somebody whose commercial driver's license has been suspended isn't eligible, correct? It's the other way around. Mm -hmm. If you obtain a conditional license, you cannot drive on with a CDL. Okay. You're not eligible to drive with the CDL if you have a conditional license. Okay. The eligibility requirements for a conditional license are pretty broad. There's not many offenses that make you ineligible. Mm -hmm. If you cause death or serious bodily injury while driving and you're convicted of that, that makes you ineligible. If you're a non-resident, you're not eligible okay. to, to get it. If you refuse to take a chemical test, a breathalyzer, that will affect your eligibility for typically a year, sometimes two years, depending how many refusals you've had in your past. And then the other one is, if you violate 
the terms of a conditional license if you violate a second time mm -hmm. and you're convicted of it then you're ineligible to ever have another conditional license I think the only other two I remember from the statute is if you're deemed incompetent or unfit by the BMV, they, then you can't have a specialized driving privilege and a conviction for passing a school bus. If you're if you're sentenced for that, if your suspension is due to to, to passing a school bus, oh well, <laughs> that's actually one of the things that makes you ineligible for specialized driving privilege. Let's get into the nuts and bolts. If somebody believes they might qualify for a conditional driver's license, what's the process for applying? They actually file a petition with the court that creates a case that goes before a judge. Walk me through the steps. The first step I'm going to tell you is if you don't know what you're doing, call Jared. Call Jared. <laughs> call Indiana Legal Services. If you're not sure where to get hold of them, on my office door in room 319 in the courthouse, are cards for Jared that has his phone number. Uh, <laughs> we might as well just drop it right here, Jared. Give us the phone number. All right. Well, there's a couple things you can do. In 2015, the Volunteer Lawyer Program of Northeast Indiana, which is the local pro bono district, partnered with the Volunteer Center and with ILS and started a second chance program. Initially, that was aimed at people who needed expungements, and that's kind of a s separate arm. But the other thing we did starting in 2016 was restoring people's driving privileges. So, so actually, the place to start is with the Volunteer Lawyer Program. Okay. We've trained up a bunch of attorneys, pro bono attorneys, who will review driver's records and kind of divide the applicants into two different categories, people who can go pro se and get their problems solved that way, and people whose problems are significant enough that they have to come over to, to my clinic and, you know, I'm petitioning to, for specialized driving privileges or something along those lines. The number for the Volunteer Lawyer Program is 260-407-0917. They take applications Monday through Friday between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. You can apply to Indiana Legal Services directly, but the truth is, if it's in Allen County, we're going to send them back to the VLP to go through that program anyway. Outside of Allen County, there's different rules, but since we have this program in place, it's really the place to start. If, if they're listening to this, I'm assuming they're Allen County residents, and so the place to really start would be the Volunteer Lawyer Program. Okay, so don't try to figure it out by yourself. Call the Volunteer Lawyer Program. That's the best way to get started. Yeah. Okay. And one of the advantages to that, John, is that what the VLP will do is ask questions about your financial assets. If you qualify for their services, which is 300% of the federal poverty guidelines, I would say that most people who contact the VLP qualify. And that means they will not have to pay a filing fee mm -hmm. to bring the action, and they will not have to pay for the services that VLP renders, and Jared, on behalf of the VLP, what they render to help people get their petition on file. If they do not qualify financially for VLP services, probably their best bet is to go to the Allen Superior Court website. And in that website, if they click on Civil Division, there are forms for the conditional license that are pretty simple for them to use in Allen County. 
there are some forms on a on the Indiana uh, judicial website, but I think, in my opinion, they're a little more complicated, and completing them is just a little more difficult than doing them off of our Allen Superior Court website. And then it's a matter of paying the filing fee, which is $157 at the clerk's office. And what happens then is when they file the petition, my office submits to the prosecutor a copy of their petition, a copy of their driving record, and we ask the prosecutor to weigh in on whether they have any objections to the petition. Very rarely do they. They'll request that certain conditions may be put on certain cases. But once we get back from the prosecutor saying we've reviewed it and we have no objections, Objection with them obtaining their license. We then schedule a hearing, which is done since the pandemic. They're all done telephonically oh. for the large part. Right. Uh, they're welcome to come in personally, but most people find it more convenient just to call in and we conduct the hearing. It generally runs between the time of filing a petition till the hearing is anywhere from three to five weeks depending what the demand is uh, for the prosecutor and for my court reporter, Daisy. And, and that's not the final step in things. There's there's a process here. There's, there's steps that you have to accomplish with the BMV, but the best way to find out how to navigate all of that is to call the LP and get some help, right? Right. I mean, the, the volunteer lawyer program is going to, I think they're charging $20 now, and mm-hmm. that's just to cover their expenses. That's to get a copy of the driver's record, the certified copy of the driver's record for the for the applicant. And then that's reviewed by a volunteer attorney who will kind of go through their driver's record, identify the problems, and kind of lay out the steps to take to, to restore the driving privileges. As I said, some of those are rather simple. For some people, it can just be a matter of getting SR-22 insurance. For some other people, it's just a pro se petition to have reinstatement fees waived. If they've got something more serious, then they're you're usually sent over to me, and then I'll petition for specialized driving privileges and that sort of thing. And there are a couple things people have to have in hand before they make that that first call. They've got to have a copy of their driving record, their insurance verification. Not necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Um, you could get your own driver's record, mm-hmm. either by going to a branch office or by going online. You can order one through the My BMV account. But more, we're more likely going to have our office do it anyway. So they don't really need to do that ahead of time. And because this process can take weeks or months, it's not necessarily the best for them to be out buying insurance that they right, right from the very get-go because it's insurance that they probably are having trouble affording and they can't use. I usually tell people that insurance is the last step before we file. It is required in, in order to, to grant the petition, and certainly you have to maintain it afterwards. During the period of the specialized driving privilege, okay. you have to have SR-22 insurance, and of course we all have to have some sort of insurance, state minimum coverage. But if you're not driving yet, does, does it really make sense you know, two or three months ahead of time to be paying for insurance? I require it at the time of hearing that I have their insurance. I will not grant the conditional license until I get proof of insurance and proof of the SR-22. So they can wait up until the point in time that they know that, okay, the hearing is scheduled. And usually they're given, I don't know, Jared, about a week notice that the hearing's going to be within a week to 10 days. So that should give them enough time to, to get their coverage lined up. My my own requirements for my own practice are a little more strict. I ask my clients to, to provide insurance before I file the petition. 
because judge and his staff are so good about scheduling these hearings pretty quickly, I don't want to be scrambling trying to get copies of paperwork after I've already filed. Yeah. So, but again, that's that's my requirement as an as an attorney, not one that the court imposes. We touched a little bit already on the part that the BMV plays in all of this, but there's a substantial piece of the process here that involves the BMV and what business people may still need to do with the BMV before this is complete and they can utilize that conditional license that they may or may not have been granted. Talk a little bit, Jared, about the role of the BMV. Well, a couple of things. First, it's really important that you always let the BMV know when you move. So, so they have some way of sending you notices. Another really good thing to do is set up a My BMV account. They're free to set up. You can do it from your smartphone, computer, that kind of thing. And if you're moving around a lot or have ever been pulled over and have questions about your license status, good place to just go check on what's happening with your license. The other thing to keep in mind is that if you haven't had a license for a long time, and we've heard some stories about people who've never had licenses <laughs> or gone years or decades, it's entirely possible you've missed a renewal because they won't let you renew, obviously, when while you're suspended. No. So depending on how long it's been since your license was supposed to be renewed, you might have to do a vision test. If it's over 180 days, they're going to make you do a, a written test, a knowledge test is what they call, what they call it. And if you've gone long enough, like over five years, the assumption is you haven't been driving. They're literally going to put you behind the wheel oh, and, wow. and make you do the driver's test again. Welcome back to high school. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's also entirely possible that you've lost your license, like physically lost it, or that it was seized at, you know, by the police at a time of an arrest or something like that. So you may have to go after you get that court order and go get a copy of your, your driver's license, you know, be photographed again and that sort of thing. In fact, I guess if it's been long enough, you, you, you probably never had a real ID, so then you, you need all the yeah. requirements for real ID, the residency, you know, the in increased requirements that came about uh, following 9-11. Uh, and I would say most of the individuals that I have a hearing for the conditional license a good, I'd say over the majority, do not have a driver's license, but they have a state ID card, okay. which they can drive on their state ID card. I mean, the one Jared mentioned that under the statute, there's certain requirements, and one of them is having a state-issued ID card, your plastic card, that has your photograph on it. And the idea being, if an officer stops you, they can look at the photograph to verify that you're the Mr. Magali to whom the court is now issuing a conditional license. So it stops people from trading paperwork. Oh. But they'll let you go on an ID card. You can drive on that. But I always think it's still best course of action for somebody who does not have their license. Even though they can drive on their ID card, go get your license. Because at some point in time, you, if you want to drive, you'll have to have your license once the conditional license runs out. Now, interesting point for Judge Avery. Maybe you live in Allen County, but you've perhaps committed your offense that you've been suspended for in another county. Where does somebody specifically need to file their conditional driver's license case? And this gets a little tricky because there's two types of suspensions. Mm -hmm. One suspension is what they call a court-imposed. So if because of an offense that you have committed, the court then orders your license suspended, that's what's called a court-imposed suspension. 
and on a court imposed suspension you're supposed to file in the county in which the court that issued the suspension is located okay so if you get it in whitley county or kosciuszko county or the counties around us if that's your only suspension you will have to file in that county where that court is the administrative suspension is a suspension where the BMV is the entity that suspends the person's license, maybe because of points, mm -hmm. the number of points, excessive points. Maybe it's because you didn't have insurance coverage at the time that the uh, offense happened. Then it's the BMV who issues the suspension. Administrative suspensions are filed in the county in which you're a resident. Mm -hmm. So what's a little uncertain at this point is, well, what happens if you have both an administrative suspension <laughs> and a court-imposed suspension from another county? That's when you call Jared. Well, <laughs> <laughs> courts are still trying to deal with that. Locally, I treat it, if there's an administrative suspension and you got a court-imposed from another county, I'm gonna issue the conditional license. <laughs> There are some who interpret that to be different, but that's how I interpret yeah. it. This obviously can probably start sounding a little intimidating to people, but hopefully we're, we're wading them into some of the resources and some of the details that they need to know here. There are other resources available if people want to start looking at the various you know, bits of information about how to get this done. Jared, talk a little bit about that. You're not the only resource. <laughs> no, I couldn't be for the whole state. <laughs> uh, time doesn't permit it. IndianaLegalHelp.org is a good place to start. It's uh, run by the courts and ILS and the State Bar Foundation. It's a website where there's forms and information on a variety of topics, one of which is the restoration of driving privileges, including uh, getting reinstatement fees waived. So there's, there's questions and answers there that you can go and read through, particularly if you're filing in another county, so you wouldn't want to use the Allen County Superior Courts website. Um, that's probably the place to start. In my day job as the uh, court administrator in Superior Court, we don't just send everybody to you, Jared. We send a lot of people to IndianaLegalHelp.org as well, and we're able to provide a lot of help there. When somebody you know, has, has gotten themselves into a situation where they need to start thinking about this, where are they likely to first hear about that option? Where might they first get plugged into the idea that this is something they need to pursue? Well, I mean, there are a couple places you can go online and find out information. Uh, Indiana Legal Services, my employer, is, is about to launch a new website, and we're going to have some information on our website. So that's one place you can go to get started. I'll be honest, most of my clients seem to come from personal referrals. You know, their, their, their family member, their friend, or whatever, got help through our Second Chance program. Or I often get people who call me directly. You know, you help my sisters, brothers, my mom, you know, whatever it is, they'll come and call me up and not unusual that the grapevine is really the place where people learn about our program. We also have people who come back repeatedly. <laughs> also have people who come because they've gone to judges' chambers and seen the, the sign on his door. <laughs> I assume that people go to clerk's offices and places like that. The Bar Association is another place. Legal Line is it's another another place where people get information. So Legal Line is a question and answer opportunity that the Bar Association provides on Tuesday nights between five and seven, 
one of the other things that I do is staff that every other week. And so people can call up with their questions and often get referrals to, to programs in, in the county or elsewhere. Actually, the Bar Association, the Allen County Bar Association, if you're not financially eligible for VLP services, that's a good source to contact. They do have what's called a lawyer referral program. But I think even if you called them and just said, hey, here's my situation, yeah. are there some attorneys that you could provide names of who I might be able to contact to get assistance in filing my license? To follow what Jared was saying about people coming in, years ago, people would come to my office and before I had the sign on the door referring them over to Jared, <laughs> they would come in and talk to my court reporter and I mean, on one instance, we had a mother, three of her children, and a couple of her sisters come in. They were all suspended and wanted oh to know, God. okay, <laughs> what do I do to get my... I've heard about this program. What can Strength I do to get numbers, huh? <laughs> yeah. No, but the truth is the, that we do have a particularly strong community for this. Mm -hmm. um, th there are counties where there's not as much help. But Allen County actually does a pretty good job. There are counties where you probably couldn't find the same resources. Yeah. Uh, obviously, IndianaLegalHelp.org is, is statewide. But the Second Chance program here, the Bar Association, the VLP, ILS, and of course, Judge and, and his, his staff have worked together for years now. And we've helped probably a couple thousand people through that program. I mean, obviously, people come to you anyway, Judge, not through the program. But I think the Second Chance program has probably helped two or 3,000 people. In the legislature, this started back in uh, 2015 when it went into effect, where they took all these different statutes that provided for conditional license and they, they put it into one. So there's one statute that deals with all of it, and they made it retroactive. That was a big deal, that anybody could apply for no matter when the offense occurred. So the first couple years, yeah, we were having 1,500 to 1,700 cases filed, people coming in to ask for their conditional license. And you know what? I think it was one of the smartest things the legislature's ever done. It makes it easier for people to be legitimately on the road, having paid and paying insurance coverage, which has always been a big bugaboo with the legislature about giving people the incentive to have insurance. But I don't know if you've noticed, John, over the last couple of years, you drive by some insurance agencies and they have those signs in their front yard that says, we sell SR-22 yep. insurance. Well, that didn't exist until all these people started getting their conditional licenses. When you think of the economic value to this community of people who can now drive to work, get better jobs, or paying for their insurance, or being more responsible, it was a no-brainer. I think it's just another example that we've covered a few of on this podcast, and hopefully we'll get to cover a few more of the, the safety net that this community and this state provides for, for people who legitimately need help. So this is obviously a very complex topic, and we've likely only scratched the surface. So before we wrap up, let's 
remind people about the most valuable phone numbers and email addresses and website addresses that they need to know. Judge Avery mentioned the Allen Superior Court website a minute ago. That address is allensuperiorcourt.us. You can click on the Civil Division link or just go search for conditional driver's licenses uh, and there's information on the site. Jared, remind us again of the phone number for VLP. The phone number for the Volunteer Lawyer Program is 260-407-0917. Other things to keep in mind would be Indiana Legal Services. They, they can call us if they have questions or if they want to become clients. Mm -hmm. We have a website. IndianaLegalHelp.org is another place to go. I still think everybody should be setting up their MyBMV account. Yep. So just pretty simple. Just Google Indiana MyBMV. If you don't have one already, you can do that quickly. Or if you've Set one up and lost your password, <laughs> which is like half my clients. Um, there are, you, know, you can just go there and, and reset that. Th those are some of the places I would start if you've got this kind of problem. Wonderful. I hate to admit it, but I think I may learn as much about some of these topics we talk about as anybody who listens. So on behalf of myself and anybody else who might be listening, I, I really appreciate the two of you taking some time today to, to explain conditional driver's licenses and, and how folks who might need this help can get plugged into the process. It's been a great discussion. Judge David Avery of the Allen Superior Court Civil Division and Attorney Jared Haller of Indiana Legal Services, thanks for being on In Session. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. This has been In Session, an inside look at the Allen County, Indiana courts. You can find out more on this topic and others at allensuperiorcourt.us. Thanks for listening. The next episode's coming right up.